Hi there, my name is Peyton. I help out with the, the youth group here at Anthem and with the middle school boys. I have the pleasure of reading the scripture this morning. If you, I could have you guys all, all rise. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes were as, became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice said, from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down onto the ground, terrified. But, the, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone that you, what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, come, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. But they have done to him everything that they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Thanks, Peyton. Good morning. How you guys doing? Yeah, that's what I like to hear. A uh, couple things before we get started. One, I want to thank the ladies in the house that sacrificed to allow their husbands to come to the man camp. Uh, it was quite fun, and I just, I told Heather last night, one of the things I love most about those venues is opportunities to connect with guys that I really don't know, and I just had a really cool opportunity to connect with people that um, I have yet to meet or spend time with, and uh, it was really, really fruitful. So thank you guys that, that showed up. For you guys who didn't, we'll do another one next year, and so mark your calendars once we actually get it on a calendar, so. Uh, second thing, this is not any sort of a political jab or anything like that. I really try hard to not use this platform as a place to talk politics. I think it's a place to promote Jesus. Um, but I, I want to sort of help set the stage for the culture that we're hoping to create here at this church. Uh, when it comes to the current cultural things that we see happening, uh, whether that be vaccinations, masks, whatever it is right now. You know, we know that our area is kind of a hotbed right now and there's so much going on and um, it's, it's quite scary for, for many. Um, I hope that we are creating a place here that looks past face masks and vaccinations and sees to the heart of people. Because really our heart is to put Jesus front and center. One of the things I love most about this church is when I look around, I see people from all different age groups. I see uh, people with different political leanings. I see people that have all different kinds of backgrounds, whether they come from a charismatic background or a conservative background, whatever it is. And I love the fact that there's so much diversity in this church. And what I celebrate is the fact that none of those things are what bring you here this morning. Your age, your political leanings, none of that. What brings us here is Jesus. 
and his, his spirit is at work in uniting us. And so I really do pray that we're building a church that reaches across, across the aisle of sorts to see people for who they are and give Jesus front, the front and center, um, uh, the podium here. And so I say all that because as we see where things are at right now in our culture, man, last week I saw a couple people walk in that had face masks on and the minute they saw that nobody else had masks on, it was like they came off and you know, people were, were saying, I just feel uncomfortable because it seems like nobody here wants me to wear a mask. I want you to know, if you want to wear a mask and that's what's best for you, then wear a mask. Like, this is not going to be a place where you are judged whether or not you wear a mask or you have a vaccine. This is a place where we're going to promote Jesus and we're going to see past those things, actually see the hearts of people. So I say all that, I, again, like I'm, I'm not a political person. I just want to make Jesus front and center in this church. And I want us to be a people that reach past the things that are dividing culture to unite under the things that are, that are actually bringing Jesus' church together. So that's it. That's my little, my little, you know, I need applause. I, I just like, I, I just really want people to feel comfortable to come as they are, you know? Like, I, I, I hate it that, I mean, somebody walks in through those doors that has had a really gnarly past. I don't ever want them to feel like, I just can't shape up in this place. All these people have it together and they seem like they've got things figured out and I don't. Like, this should be a place where we come as we are to unite around Jesus. So anyhow. Matthew 17 is where we find ourselves this morning uh, in a story called the Transfiguration. If you look at the title of the section in many of your Bibles, if it's divided up that way, um, that's what it will say, the Transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, quite uh, a crazy story that we're going to work through this morning. And so I want to pray, um, and then um, we're going to dive into it. So pray with me. Jesus, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for each individual in this room. I thank you for each heart, God. I know that you are at work individually in the lives of every person in this room. We know that it is not coincidence that you brought us to this place this morning. We, uh, Lord, bear our hearts. We lay everything down before you this morning to ask Jesus that you have your way with us. Lord, so we jump past all the things that are dividing our culture, and I pray that we would be a people that would not allow the church of Jesus Christ to be divided. I pray, um, Jesus, that we would unite this morning. I pray that your word would have its way in us and through us. I ask, Jesus, uh, that you would use your word to shine a light on the condition of our own hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would shape us and grow us, that we would be a people that having encountered the living word of God, would actually leave here changed this morning. And so, Jesus, we give this time for you, to you, and we pray that you are honored in this place, Lord. This is your church, in Jesus' name, amen. So, the transfiguration. Um, there's a ton of layers to this text. I don't know how many of you read through this before, but today I just want to focus on one or two primary things because there's a bunch of things that we could get kind of caught up in and tangents in this. Uh, but I just want to focus on a couple things, and I know that if we try to do everything this morning, uh, we don't really grow anything, and so I just want to focus on a couple things, and I know there's stuff that I'm going to miss, but if there's one thing that I want you to see this morning, like one sort of primary piece of application that I want you to take away from today, it's this, that the transfiguration of Jesus is like this massive backlit billboard screaming at all of us that our lowest moments in life don't crush us. 
screaming at all of us that the highest highs in our life, the greatest moments in our life, that they don't actually limit us. And so whether you're here and your, life's to be, your life seems to be at a state of perpetual lows right now, or whether your life seems to be made up of one high after another right now, the transfiguration of Jesus should radically alter the way that we live our life. There's something so sweet, so profound, and so special about what it is we're reading this morning. It's a text that it's easy for us to blast through. It's easy for us to read it and go, I just don't really get it, and so I'm going to move on. Um, But there's something so profound about what's taking place in this text. There's something, uh, there's something else that I know about this passage or, and about our church is that most of us in our lives, we actually don't live in one extreme or the other. Most of us live somewhere in the middle and not just at one point in the middle. Most of us are kind of scattered about in the middle, even at different places in our lives. And so for a lot of us, we sort of live our lives. I don't know about you. But we sort of live our lives bouncing between the lows and the highs of life. Really high highs, really low lows, and we just sort of yo-yo back and forth throughout our lives. Like we're doing everything we can to resist distress in our life and pain and suffering and despair. And we're trying to get away from all of that stuff and then we're trying to desperately hang on to and cling on to the highs in our life, like the pleasures, the euphoria, the ease, the comfort, the successes. We wanna hang on to those things and the problem is that the lows keep coming and the highs never last, right? The lows don't stop and the highs don't last long enough for us. And and so what that means is that we're forever stuck in this sort of exhausting cycle in our lives of bouncing between the lows and highs. And so we we sort of live like yo-yos bouncing up and down throughout our life, and it's exhausting. I don't know for anybody else. Anybody else get sick of the yo-yo of life constantly going up and down? And some of us come into this room this morning, and you're very much enslaved by that cycle in your life bouncing between the highs and lows. And so when your circumstances are heavy, when they're bad, uh, when they're hard, when, when you're at a low, you find yourself in a place of despair. And then when things are good, all of a sudden you find yourself happy and, and joyful and you're up. And it's a horrible way to live your life, bouncing back and forth between those. And so I wanna ask you a question this morning. If, come, if somebody came to you today and they said, hey, there's this opportunity for you to sort of cut that yo-yo string in your life once and for all. Like, there's actually a foundation for you to stand on so that you, you don't have to be limited by your successes in life and you don't have to be crushed by your failures. You don't have to be enslaved by the, con- the constant lows and highs of your life. Would you accept that offer this morning? Would you accept? I, I think most of us would say yes. I'd totally take that. And Anthem, I think as we dig in this passage this morning, this is what's on the table for us. Something very grounding. And with Jesus' transfiguration, Jesus sort of holds out the scissors for you and I to sort of cut the yo-yo strings in our life that keep us enslaved to the circumstances in our life. The, the, The freedom being held out to us today is exactly that. You don't have to be slave to the temporary, mediocre pleasures that this world offers, and that's what's on the table today, whether you're a Christian already or whether you're not yet. I want you to think about that this morning. Do you find yourself wanting something grounding in life to get off the exhausting roller coaster? Matthew 17, 17, verse one. Matthew says this. 
And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And so the first thing I want you to notice here this morning is that Matthew connects this section, this text, with the last section of text that we read last week in verse 16, or in chapter 16. And two of the things that we see in chapter 16 that were very clear. One, we see that Jesus is God. That's who he is. Jesus is the God-man. Two, we see the cost of following Jesus, laying down our lives, picking up our cross, following after him. So in Matthew 17, one, he tells us, I'm gonna sort of build on that now, the foundation that's already been laid, and so for that reason, I wanna break the sermon this morning up into two primary sections. First, we're gonna hang out on this mountain with Jesus, like this amazing experience that he has with his disciples. I love this. And I want us to sort of stare into the significance of the transfiguration. And then second, we're gonna look at the disciples' response to the, to the transfiguration and see the, what it is we can take away from it. How can we learn from this experience today? How can we cut that yo-yo string in our life? And then we'll respond afterwards this morning by coming forward and taking communion together. So Jesus takes his disciple, disciples, sort of his inner leadership circle, these three guys, Peter, James, and John, to the top of this mountain. And the first thing that we can observe, and don't miss this, is that they go up a mountain, right? Sounds pretty obvious. Jesus takes them up a mountain. In scripture, mountains are are used to represent the highs in life. Mountains would often be the places of revelation. This is where God would literally meet with his people on these mountaintops. This is where God would speak to his people on these mountaintops. The mountain moments are sort of also in scripture contrasted with these valley moments. And the valley moments were the times of despair. It was sort of their places of destruction. But what we see in this passage is this mountaintop experience. Jesus takes his disciples up this mountain. And so we get this amazing like mind-blowing revelation to go along with this experience this morning. 17, verse two. And he was transfigured before them, it says, and his face shone like sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. This is like the moment, you guys. The moment. This is the moment that that Matthew declares that that Peter was sort of right about what Peter said in chapter 16 when Peter declares that Jesus is God. Matthew's saying, yes, Jesus actually is God. Remember, Matthew chose to pen this story, to write about it, even though he was not there to experience it. And, And so Matthew's saying, yes, Jesus actually is God. Like the power he walked with, the life that Jesus lived, this was no mere man. Jesus was actually God himself. Like theologians call this the hypostatic union, right? Meaning he's fully God and he's also fully man. Like both natures are fully there, but neither one of them is deluded by the other. Jesus was fully man and fully God. And and the only word that Matthew really uses to convey to us the the glory of this moment, the the glory of seeing Jesus in his power and in perfect communion with God is this word light. It's interesting that he uses that to describe this, this light. So he says, his face, it says, shone like the sun. His clothes were glowing, but in the transfiguration, we don't just see Jesus. We don't just see what's happening with Jesus. Who else shows up on the scene? 
Are you guys with me this morning? Okay. I'll just talk to myself for a second. Um, Moses and Elijah. Yeah, they were both. Okay, cool. So Moses and Elijah also show up on the scene. It's not just Jesus. And so you have to understand that for Peter, James, and John, seeing Moses and Elijah show up, like talking with Jesus, this was like the ultimate celebrity meet and greet for these guys. This is the epitome. Like this moment, we can't even comprehend how amazing this is. The one question I have is like, how in the world did they know that that was Moses and Elijah, right? There's no photos to go off of. Like how in the world did they know this? But they knew in this moment that it was Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. For these guys, this literally would have been like their ultimate dream. I mean, Moses and Elijah, these guys literally shaped their lives. These guys shaped their heritage Moses wasn't just the guy who, you know, led the people of Israel from slavery out of Egypt into freedom. He was also the guy through whom God gave the entire law. On what? A mountaintop. God gave Moses the law for his people. And then we've got this guy, Elijah, this prophet, that wasn't just this, like, miracle-working prophet who did a bunch of great things He was literally the prophet of prophets. Like, as the Old Testament closes in the book of Malachi, there's this prophecy that says that Elijah will return before the day of the Lord, before the Messiah comes, that Elijah would be there, that he would come. And so for the nation of Israel, Moses and Elijah represented all of the law and all of the prophets. And so you have to understand that in this moment, at this transfiguration, the reason the moment is powerful enough to affect your life and my life this morning, the reason it's powerful enough to cut the yo-yo string in our life is because all of human history is converging in this one moment, in this one man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And all of God's work, like all of his plans for human history, past present and future are all coming to Jesus and they're culminating in him. And so what we're seeing by the appearance of Moses and Elijah in this moment is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. That's why in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said what? He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, but what did he say? I actually came to fulfill them. I didn't come to do away with them. Jesus was the fulfillment of them. And so this is what we're seeing, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Question we might ask is why in the world does that even matter? Why is that such a big deal? It matters because if that's true, that Jesus was the fulfillment of it all, it means that Jesus is your only hope. It means he's all you got, he's your only chance. It means that Jesus is the only one who ever fulfilled the just and perfect requirements of the law on your and I behalf. Jesus was the, the only one that could fulfill the requirements that God held up for humankind and said, if you want to walk with me, here's the law that I need you to follow through with. And Jesus was the only one to actually fulfill those things. And he did it in order to give you and I, and I hope this gives you a lot of excitement this morning. But he did this to give you and I right standing before him. And for us, 
This is why Jesus, you guys, is our only hope. You see, sometimes we think about the law of God. We hear that phrase, we read about it, we, we read through all the laws, and we think maybe these are just like an arbitrary set of principles, and that's sort of it. But nothing actually could be further from the truth. The, the law of God was in every way connected to the character and to the nature of God. And the reason God held a law that was impossible for us to keep is because Jesus was saying, look, if you want to walk with me, you're actually gonna need a savior to do that. If you wanna be with me, it's gonna have to come through a savior. You're gonna need some outside help. And so here's the law Here's an expression of my holiness for you. And the fact that the law broke every single one of us was meant to show us that we desperately need a savior. And so here's Jesus speaking with Elijah and Moses in communion with God, his face is shining, clothes are glowing, and this is what we're seeing. This is why Jesus stepped into human history to represent us and do what we didn't, to be what we couldn't to uphold the law that you and I broke. And as I said before, the, the law that broke you and I. Like, I just want you to see as we get going here how Jesus dealt with God's plans, like past, present, and future. But, but as we look at the past, you need to understand this, is that Jesus has actually dealt with your past as well, hasn't he? That's good news, right? Jesus has dealt with your past. Like those of us who are carrying guilt and shame this morning, those of us who are carrying despair because of the points at which we've broken God's law, you're not trusting in the transfiguration. You're not trusting what we see here, the reality that Jesus is God, that he's fulfilled the law. And so if we say we follow Jesus, if you say you're a disciple of Jesus and then we go on living our lives carrying guilt and shame, we're actually not trusting in the Savior. Like your hope is in something else. So I, I want us to look into the transformation, the transfiguration, and see that Jesus has made a way for us to be redeemed. He's literally taken our past on himself, he's taken our law breaking on himself, and he's made a way for us to enjoy this same power, this same transformation in the present. And so I use this word transformation really specifically because in, in verse 17 too, that word is transfiguration, and it's the, in the Greek, it's actually this word metamorpho. And so it's the same word from which we get metamorphosis. And we have a couple other places in the New Testament where this Greek word metamorpho is actually used. And it speaks about what's happening to Christians as we come to Jesus. For example, in Romans 2, 1 and 2, the apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Metamorpho, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Second Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, and we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being what? Transformed, metamorpho, into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so some of us, We've been Christians for a very long time, but we're finding this, we're not finding this metamorphosis in our lives. 
Like there's never been any change. We're not finding transformation. And so you need to understand that transformation is not just the goal of the Christian life. It's not just where you're going. It also means, uh, of the Christian life, it means walking faithfully with Jesus. And sometimes it, it seems like we think that God's really only interested in making converts. Like we, we think that God's some sort of annoying salesman who kind of just wants you to sign on the dotted line. Like, I just need to hurry up and get saved and sign on the dotted line and take care of that so that that's sort of the end game for us, to sign on the dotted line and just be saved. And that couldn't be further from the truth because the reality is that the day we surrender our lives to Jesus is not the end, but what? It's the beginning. It's one transformation that's going to lead to hopefully, by God's grace, hundreds, if not thousands more transformations. I was 17 years old when I first became a believer. I was at this conference with 60,000 men sitting in the stadium in the nosebleeds, way up top, listening to the same gospel presentation I'd heard my whole life. I grew up in the church, been there, done that, knew it, like had heard it all, but but I'm sitting there in the stadium and this guy's presenting the gospel like I've heard it so many times, but somehow in this one moment at 17 years old, it was as though my eyes were opened and I saw that my whole life was actually wrapped up in Jesus. Like I didn't have hardly any words to describe what was actually going on, but I knew, I was convinced in that moment that Jesus loved me. I was convinced in that moment that my life was in him. And I ran down from the top of that, the nosebleeds in the stadium in front of 60,000 men down to the stage down below to just grab a stranger and say, would you pray with me? Like, I think I'm supposed to just surrender my life to Jesus and give up. And so I'm down there praying with this guy and somehow in this moment for me, this whole experience, it was transformative. I mean, at almost 43 years old, there are still moments when I get caught up in what's going on in this life and frustrated and disillusioned and and just kind of complacent. And I look back on that day and it almost brings me to tears because what I remember is that what happened that day was so real. It was so tangible that God was transforming me. He was changing Chris's heart and mind, and my life before my very eyes. But my point is this. If you're not transforming, you're not growing. If you're not transforming in Jesus, you're not walking as a disciple of Jesus. And the reality is that some of us have been sitting in this room. We've been sitting in churches, church services, Sundays, for years. And my question is, has your life changed? Are you hearing from the spirit of the living God? Or are you walking more and more each day in what Jesus lived, died, and rose to give you? And so as we look at Jesus being transfigured, transformed on this mountaintop, now we're seeing sort of a part of what it means for us to live as Christians in the present. Like, it means being transformed. So take it a layer, a layer deeper. Uh, Because Jesus didn't just deal with our past, Jesus is also dealing with our present, and Jesus is also dealing with our future. And so we can see that at the transfiguration, in one of his letters, um, 
uh, in one of his letters to the church in Corinth, Paul says, uh, Paul talks about the resurrection of the body, that everyone in Christ will actually experience this. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, so, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown in a natural body, and he says that it's raised in a spiritual body. And so see, what's, what's coming for those in Christ is not just eternal life floating somewhere out there in bliss. That's not what's ahead for you. you give your life to Jesus and you're like, I just want eternal life, or I just kinda, I'm, I'll be floating up in the sky somewhere and live this like blissful eternal existence. That's not just it. We get new life. We get new bodies. The resurrection of the dead, these glorified bodies. And what we're seeing here when we're looking at Jesus is we're seeing his face shine. We're seeing his clothes glowing. We get more than a glow in the dark, more than glow in the dark clothes eternally, don't we? We don't get just some manufactured light. We get the real thing, like these glorified bodies from God himself. We get perfect communion with God. We get bodies without limitation. We get upgraded bodies able to handle this whole new experience that God will place us in. We get this new communion with our Father. No more unholy impulses, amen? No more remains of the curse that existed, none of it. No more sin in our bodies, no more pain through our bodies, no more sickness, nothing. It's where everyone who bows before Jesus is heading. That's the future for you. Who wants that? I want it. That's the mountaintop. Like that's the transformation, this transfiguration that happens in us through Christ. And so we're shown that Jesus through his life through his death and his resurrection, has actually taken care of our whole past, our whole present, and our whole future. And Anthem, this is the glory of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ wrapped up in a single moment where it's converging on one man. It's the glory of God, literally in visible form. And I want you to know that this isn't for somebody else. It's for you. He's offering it to you. And if you're sitting here thinking like, this just sounds too basic, we're just talking about the gospel, like this is sort of the most elementary kind of things, I think you're wrong because the gospel is the beginning, the gospel is the middle, and the gospel is the end of the Christian life. We don't graduate from this, none of us. No one in this room is perfectly living this out yet. Anybody, any takers? Like, we need this. We've fallen short of God's law, but Jesus has fulfilled it for you and I. You don't have any way to save your own soul, but Jesus can actually be your savior. You have no reason for hope in or beyond this temporary life, but Jesus came to give you eternal life by his resurrection power, so you can cut the yo-yo string. Stop living this life in the ups and the downs and realize that there's something greater that we're actually attached to. So how can the gospel, as seen in this transfiguration, free us from the cycle that we get in, where we're being destroyed by the lows and the highs in our life, and or being destroyed by the lows in our life and limited by the highs? How can we do that? So in order to see this, we need to understand Peter's response on this mountaintop moment. I want you guys to see it. 
So remember where we're at. Jesus is being transfigured on this mountain. He's shining, he's glowing. Moses and Elijah have just now popped in out of nowhere. And then notice what it says when they show up. They show up and they're talking with Jesus. <laughs> There's no like, hey, what's up, bro? It's been a while. You know, it's like they're immediately talking with him. They show up, they're talking with Jesus. And, and they're in the midst of this conversation and they just appear. And so the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they're standing back, they're observing what's taking place. Like, imagine this moment. If this were you guys, this would be like the moment that you about pee yourself, right? You're like, what in the world is going on? Like, this is unbelievable. And here's how Peter responds. As Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah, we read in verse four, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, it is good that we're here. Uh, if you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We all know that Peter's not the brightest of dudes, right? That's why I relate to Peter so much. The dude has heart of gold. He's like, He's like the dude that you're like, bless your heart every time he opens his mouth. Um, heart of gold, talks too quickly, doesn't sit back and think or take things in, listen enough. He just talks. But promise me right now, you guys, that if Jesus ever shows up and Jesus ever transfigures himself before you and two characters from the Old Testament pop up with him and they're having a conversation, promise me that you guys won't say anything, right? Like, sit back and take in that moment. Like, that's a special moment. Peter's like, this is good. Uh, can I build you guys some tents? You know, like, can, can, can we make this thing last? And so Peter shows up and he says, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, do you want me to start working on getting some more permanent accommodations for ready for you guys? And it's sort of awkward. It's uncomfortable. And Peter's outside his lane, and so he doesn't even realize it. And then the, so the father responds, have a look at verse five. He, Peter, was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Seals the deal. Where else did we hear God say this? At Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son. Look at verse six. When the disciples heard this, meaning the voice from heaven, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. Like finally we see this reaction um, that, that we should have got from the beginning, but it's like the awe of God, the fear of the Lord, and then finally Peter realizes like it's not a time to be speaking, right? <laughs> This is the time to literally be on our faces, praying to survive. Verse seven, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And so Jesus says, rise, have no fear. They look up, Moses and Elijah are gone. Understand this? This was a quick moment. Moses and Elijah are gone. This moment is over, the transfiguration is done, and here's the question that we need to answer. It's a question where we begin to see ourselves more in the story. What did Peter speak, why did Peter speak up in the first place? Like, why did he talk? What was Peter actually after? And in verse four, we're told that Peter wanted to build these three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I don't want you guys to think about a Coleman camping tent. Like he's just saying like, you want me to pop you up a quick tent? Like there you go, you know, here's, 
He's talking about dwelling places, like a place for them to actually live. Do you want me to make this moment permanent? Do you guys need places to live? I will build you guys these permanent structures on this mountain. Peter wanted to take this mountaintop experience and Peter wanted to cling on to it. He wanted to sort of catch lightning in the bottle. He wanted to create some permanence around what was happening. And so he was asking Jesus, can we set something up? Can we build something here and hang on to this moment? That's what Peter wanted. And Anthem, I often think we do this in our life. We chase the highs of, the, of our lives and then we try to hang on to them as long as we possibly can. And then one day, we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, save me. And Jesus saves us and we come to Jesus and we start doing the exact same thing. And so maybe your moment of high was on a beach somewhere. or Maybe it was a literal mountaintop experience that you have. Maybe it was a worship night. Maybe it was a conference that you went to. Maybe it was a vision or a dream or a word that you were given. I don't know what your high is. But here's what I do know is that I know that some of us, ever since that moment in our life, all we've been doing is trying to get back to the mountaintop. We've literally made that the priority to get back there. Like we're still trying to chase that very same high. And it's why so many people jump from church to church without taking any sort of ownership in their lives. It's why we come in and we're not even ashamed to just like be consumers of church sometimes because deep down inside what we're doing is going, I had this one experience and I need to recreate that experience every single week. Otherwise it's not the mountaintop experience that I'm looking for. And if the pastor doesn't give me the message that I want, if the worship doesn't sound the way that I need it to, and all these things flow into to that and what we're trying to do is recreate an experience that we had but God does not desire for you to live on the mountain you don't spend your existence up there he didn't ask you to pitch a tent and the high we literally put the high is like chasing down this mountaintop experience in our life And it's not what the church exists to do because the mountaintops weren't meant to last. If you've been around long enough in life, you know this. God's design for us in life is not that we live on the mountains and that we stay there with him. It's what we see in this text next. The transfiguration is over. Peter, Peter, James, and John, they look up. Moses and Elijah are gone. The transfiguration, this mountaintop experience, wasn't meant to last, which is why you see What we see is the story continues in verse nine. And as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them to do what? Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. How many of you guys actually think they did that? (laughs) That's my question for them. Because if it were me, I'd be like, ooh, I gotta tell you something, you know, like, oh, I can't, like what I saw was so insane, you know what I mean? Like, you gotta wait till Jesus rises again and then I'll actually share it with you. But like, you would want to share this experience and not only was it this mountaintop experience in your life, but as you're coming down, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to share this with anybody. Sort of a dagger to the heart, like lead them up the mountain, Jesus leads them down on the way down Not only has he told them, like, you're not allowed to sort of create this as a permanent thing, and it's over, but he says, I don't even want you to talk about it. So the disciples are confused. Verse 10 and 11, and the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, 
and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist actually was the Elijah to come. We already dealt with this earlier in the book of Matthew, um, so I don't want to spend a ton of time here. But what I want you to notice in these few verses is the response of Jesus to the disciples' question. See, they want to know, why isn't Elijah sticking around? Like, we're finally getting somewhere, Jesus. Why do you leave? And Jesus sort of answers the question, but then he brings it back to the thing that he wants them to know, the thing he wants them to be thinking about as they walk down the mountain, which was actually the fact that his suffering was still yet to come. You see, Jesus didn't lead them up the mountain to stay on the mountain. Jesus led them up the mountain to strengthen them for the valley, for the week that's ahead, like the worst week of their lives. And you need to understand for us, that without mountains, there are no valleys, and without valleys, there are no mountains. So the highs and lows of life, they're literally God's tools, right? They're his tools in his hands working on you, you and I. And some of us, we've been praying for a long time for God to heal us, for God to comfort us, for God to meet us. And the only way that we can imagine doing that is by keeping us up on that mountain. But you have to understand the valley. The mountains, what transforms us, like there's a major event that takes place there, but the valley is what he's going to use to actually refine his disciples. And Jesus has placed one big mountain in front of you and I that's yet to come. One big mountain, this eternal mountain, one that you will never ever be let off of. Communion with God all the time, that's coming. There's this mountain coming, but until then, church, it's peaks and valleys all the way up to that thing for the rest of our duration on this life. And if you resist either the peaks and the valleys in life, you're literally resisting following Jesus, and it's really difficult to be his disciple if you resist the things that he's leading you in. If you're resisting the spirits leading in your life or, or keeping um, you out of the valley, like you're not following Jesus. I, I started our time this morning by saying that Jesus cut the string that, that sort of keeps us like a yo-yo in between despair and ecstasy in our life. And that's why, because every step through the valley, every step over a peak, every one of those is a necessary step to the final mountaintop that he's taken us. And there's only one path for you. There's only one road for you. And Christians, that final road, that peak, that path you're on, like, you're on it now. Um, yesterday, we, I, I spent 24 hours up at the, the men's retreat and yesterday we had a few hours of free time. And so Randy Weeks was like, he brought this four-seater side-by-side. I don't know if you guys have ever ridden in these things before. And he was like, you want the keys? And there's 540 acres of land out at Myvedon where we were staying. And we were like, yeah, let's go check out those mountains. And so four of us pile into this side-by-side. It was me, Shane Byler, Bill Gifford, and Ryan Stevens. And we get into the side-by-side and we're, we don't know where we're going but we just know we're gonna take the trails and as the trails continue to go up, we're just gonna keep going up because eventually we'll get to the top of the mountain. And what happened was we get all the way up to the top of the mountain, we see this amazing view. We're like, oh, this is stunning. Like it was an amazing view. And then we're like, as we're looking over, you pan across this view and you realize, dude, there's another mountain over there and it's even taller. 
if we go down this mountain over here, we can get up to that one, you know, or we can find another peak somewhere. And so we just find a trail, not the same one we came in on, that looks like it's going to take us down this ravine and hopefully connect us to another trail so we can keep going up. And this other trail is, there's brush, it's like totally grown over, like we're just like, I, I'm not like a four by end dude, you know, but we're, it was hardcore. We're like trampling through brush and stuff, going over these little ruts. Like at one point, the, the side by side is on its, like at an angle. And, um, and I'm leaning over like this in Shane Bidler's lap, just hoping to put enough weight this way on it so the thing doesn't roll down the side of the cliff. And we're like, this is kind of hairy. And we get down this embankment, we get down to the bottom of the ravine, and the thing just ends. There's nowhere to go. And we're like, all right, let's all get out of the side by side. Let's go walk around and see if we can find a trail somewhere nearby. And so we start scouring this area because the one thing we don't want to do is what? Go back up where we just came. That seems miserable. So we will find the easiest route out of this place. So we're scouring, looking for it. We can't find it. There's no other way out. And finally, we're just like, we gotta go back out that way. And so we get in this thing and we put on our belts, like this five-point harness, and we're like, I, I looked at the guys, I go, does anybody else wanna drive? And they're like, no, you're good, man. Like, you, we'll trust you. I'm like, can see the headline, local pastor kills three congregants and side-by-side -side flip or something. And, and um, we just like truck it back up through the, like this hairiest trail that we came down to get back out. And I was thinking about the fact that so often in life, we get into these valleys or these difficult places. And some people spin out for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of their life because what they're waiting for is the easy trail that'll get them out of the situation that they find themselves in. So they'll spin out their whole life until they find something easy, comfortable, and safe to get them out of the situation they find themselves in, only to realize the whole time God's going, maybe you gotta go back up that hairy trail. <laughs> You're like, no, Lord, that's not of you. You never asked me to go through that. Like, you only give me safe and comfortable things, right? And we trekked it back up this trail and got to the top, and it was like my heart was racing the whole time. And I get up to the top, and it was like the biggest sigh of relief to get to the top and know that you've made it through. And I think in our lives sometimes, we spend too much time hoping that God would provide the, the safe way out to keep us up on the mountain because we get up there and then we see another mountain. We're like, I'm gonna go get over that one. Well, the only way to get over that one is to go down through the valley and potentially climb some crazy stuff to get back up to the other one. We don't want hardship in our life. And I want to encourage and challenge you guys this morning that we need to stop listening to the voice of the enemy that tells us there's another path. Some of you are praying for that voice to tell you there's another path because you don't want to take the one that you're on. I encourage you guys this morning, like, this is your road. And invite the worship team to come up. Um, Jesus had his cross to carry. His disciples had their cross to carry. You and I, as we talked about last week, we have our cross to carry. 
And it's not mountaintop out after mountaintop in this life. It's peaks and it's valleys. And so we've seen Jesus taking care of our past, our present, and our future. We've seen the transfiguration points to this brand new foundation for you and I to stand on. And we've seen that Jesus put one final mountaintop before you and I, an eternal mountaintop in front of us. That's where we're headed. That's why we can sort of cut the yo-yo string in life and attach ourselves to something else. That every single step that you need to take in this life has been sovereignly administered to you by a loving Heavenly Father. Every step. And if you're in Jesus, if you love God, and if you're walking with him, you're called according to whose purposes? Yours or his? You're called to his purposes. And all things in your life will work out for the greatest good you could ever comprehend. And Jesus is taking, there, taking you there. He's the one. And my question to leave you with this morning is, could it be that some of us in this room this morning are literally resisting the walk down the mountain? Could it be that you're literally resisting whatever it is that God's called you to because it just seems too hard? Maybe for some of you, it's a simple phone call to somebody that you've just been really convicted that you're supposed to reach out to them. A relationship he wants to heal. Maybe it's a hard decision you have to make. Maybe it's a massive change in your life. Maybe it's something super, super small. And I don't know what it is for you this morning, but could it be that you're resisting the leading of the Spirit because in your opinion, God's moving in the wrong direction and God has a different plan? We're gonna end with communion this morning. I thought it was so cool how this kind of ties in. But in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is sharing his last supper with his disciples. And it says in verse 14, and when the hour came, it says he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it was fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread which uh, he, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. And then he said this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they'd eaten saying, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so I was reading through that and thinking about this idea of remembrance, thinking about what Jesus did with his disciples on that mountaintop thinking about all the things throughout the life of the Israelites that were these remembrance experiences meant to point them back to God's faithfulness and his goodness when God brought them out, when God gave them strength, when God was with them in the midst of times of despair, whatever it was, you better believe that this moment of transfiguration for the disciples was a reminder for the duration of their lives when they got into some hairy situations, when they got in the valleys, that Jesus actually was God, that they actually met with him and knew him, and they were convinced. But when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, we have weakened communion to becoming this action that we do at churches where it's just like, I'll drink it and I'll take the bread and I'll go on with my day. And my challenge for you this morning is, how good are your memories in this room? Because when my wife says, can you stop 
on the way home and grab a, a jug of milk, chances are there's a 50-50 chance that I'm actually going to show up at home with that milk in my hand, right? Like, my memory sucks. Can, she can confirm that. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, there's something more significant than this, something that you need to hold on to and literally put it in your calendar. Because what I've realized over the years is that because my memory stinks so bad, where do all my reminders go in my calendar? The hit the reminder app, like I put them all in there because I will forget. And we as a church, once a month, we provide communion. We've sort of put it in your calendar for you and provided this opportunity for you to come forward. But the remembrance portion of what you're taking part in, as you come forward this morning, you're remembering that Jesus's body was broken on your behalf, that Jesus's blood was shed. And as you partake in this, you're not just going through the motions and taking part of a sacrament in a church because that's what you do. You're doing this because you believe it, for one, and two, you're literally pointing back and remembering what he did for you, and it's just happening through some juice and some bread. So I'm gonna encourage you guys after I pray to come forward, to grab the juice and the bread, to go back to your seats and do the remembering portion where you sit before the Lord and say, Jesus, remind me of what it is you actually did for me. If you're a follower of Jesus, that should be very easy. If you don't know Jesus, today might be the day. <laughs> There's no point in you coming forward and taking communion this morning if you don't understand what it is you're partaking in. If you don't know Christ, maybe this morning Jesus is asking you, do you want to surrender your life to me? Do you believe that Jesus lived a blameless life? Jesus died a brutal death on our behalf to save us from our sins. He resurrected again. His Holy Spirit resides within those who put their trust and faith in Jesus and eternal life Forgiveness of sins awaits for those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning and you're making that decision before the Lord, come forward this morning and partake in communion and remember what it is he did for us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your church. I thank you for each individual in this room. God, I thank you for sweet moments of communion like this. We're in the midst of the craziness of our lives. We have this one moment where we say, Jesus, remind me of what you did because it's so easy to get lost in this world and in this life. I pray, Jesus, as we come forward this morning to partake in communion, that you'd give us a deep gratitude for what it is you've done for us, Jesus. I pray that as we partake in communion this morning that we'd also realize it's not just about what you've done in us and for us, it's actually also about what you're doing through us, that the glory of God is literally on display through your church. And so, Jesus, as we leave these walls this afternoon, it's not just about this individual decision I made with Jesus, but it's also about others out there that have the opportunity to be invited into this relationship as the glory of God is literally manifest in the lives, the houses, the workplaces, the schools, the gas stations, the grocery stores that your church hangs out in. 
And so I pray, Jesus, for each person in this room. I pray that you would renew our minds and our hearts. I pray transformation would continue to happen in us, Lord, that we become more and more like you. We look more and more like you each and every day and that you would have your way in your church, God. I pray that we would leave here uh, a, not a church that's stagnant and complacent, but a church that the power of God is moving in and through. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to come forward, feel free to come forward and grab some juice and some bread and then go back to your seats and spend some time with the Lord while we sing some worship.